God is still on the throne of heaven. And even though weapons might form against us, okay, even though the enemy might form against us, the scripture says that no weapon formed against us will prosper. And that's the promise that we have, that we could resist him as the Brit Chadashah, the New Covenant Scriptures tell us, and he will flee. And so we stand on those promises. We stand on the goodness of the great and mighty God that we serve through Yeshua, our Messiah. So with that said, let's pray together. You could pray after me. Avinu Malkenu, our Father and our King, give me eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to perceive, and the will to obey your word that I hear today in Yeshua's name. I want to commend you, first of all, as a congregation for making, this, making it this far in our fast as we are less than a week away from finishing our journey, as Rabbi Carroll mentioned. I want to encourage you not to give up. Don't ring the bell on your prayer and fasting as it is needed now more than ever for your own sake and for the sake of our world. We've been praying for people we don't know, and guess what? God is answering our prayer. For almost 40 days, we've been crying out to our God, denying ourselves through fasting as a way to identify with Yeshua and draw closer to him through this season. This series was done right before Passover for a reason, and that reason was for breakthrough. In this season, we commemorate the exodus from Egypt and the physical bondage that enslaved our people, as well as the liberation from spiritual bondage through Yeshua's death, burial, and resurrection. It is a powerful season. And I want to suggest that we're in a season that we could be expectant for God to break through, for God to do a powerful working by his son, Yeshua the Messiah. This is the time of our freedom as we rejoice in God's deliverance. You might be out there today and be in need yourself or know someone who needs God to intervene in their lives. This is what this season is all about. In fact, our world is in the midst of a plague itself during this Passover season and is in desperate need for God's intervention and salvific deliverance. The world is in need for God to move. Well, I want to encourage you that as big as we might think the world is, <laughs> God is bigger. I want you to be encouraged today and be filled with faith that God can do the impossible. There is nothing too difficult for God. There is a spiritual awakening happening through this fast that we've been on for the past 40 days. People are hungering for more of God and are recognizing that they are more needful than ever before for his help. Are you more aware that you need God's help than ever before? I'm sure you are. Remember, fasting is not just abstaining from food. It is about our hearts drawing closer to God. Friend, if we don't realize it now, that God is our source and our strength, he is our refuge, he is the only one that can truly help us. When the help of man fails, our God is faithful. And you need to 
make no mistake about it, God is at work despite what it may look like. Think about this. For 400 years, Israel was in slavery, and when they cried out to God, he began to move, even though things seemed to initially worsen. God was moving, arranging, and preparing to bring relief and deliverance to his people, Israel. I believe he is doing the same in our day and for this Passover season. When you cry out to God, he is not deaf, and he does not ignore the cries of his people. He begins to move. Do not be discouraged if things got worse or bad things happened during the fast. This was true during the first Passover as well. Fasting is spiritual warfare. And just like our people faced opposition from Pharaoh, this season has been more intense and unusual than ever. Perhaps your family has been hit with an unexpected crisis or other obstacles came up. Don't be discouraged, but expect God to deliver you. I want you to turn to someone in your home, or if you're by yourself, say it to yourself like David did, and I want you to say, expect God to deliver you. I want to encourage you to lift up your eyes to the Lord, who is our strong tower and refuge. God answers when we cry to him. I know it personally. I know it through testimony, because God is real. And as we prepare to finish this season of fasting and get ready to celebrate God's deliverance during Pesach, I want you to think about what new habits you are going to carry forward. Don't give back the victories God has given. Just because the fast is over doesn't mean you have to go back to the old way of eating or living or old habits. We have learned a lot during this fast. Many have taken significant ground from the enemy. Make this a lifestyle, a lifestyle of regular fasting in some way, shape, or form. Maybe you decide to fast one day a month as a result of going through this 40 days. Or maybe one meal a week that you skip and continue to pray and intercede on behalf of others. Just to keep your heart sensitive to the Spirit of God. Fasting is a wonderful tool. We are facing some significant challenges as a country and as a community of faith. Let's fast and pray about that. Dedicate a meal a month, a day a month, uh, something that you've been doing, and seek God for breakthrough, continued breakthrough. Incorporate fasting and prayer into your spiritual arsenal. Uh, why don't you bow your hearts with me? I want to pray as we get into the, that was our intro, <laughs> really about fasting, just to encourage you as this winds down. Uh, let me pray, and you can bow your hearts in prayer as we get into the meat and potatoes, or I should say the matzah <laughs> of our message today. Abba, we thank you for this season of fasting and ask that in these final days, you would give us strength to finish well. Even if we haven't seen the breakthrough yet, give us grace for the battle. 
This battle isn't ours, it's yours. And in Yeshua, we have the victory. Thank you for his resurrection power that's at work in our lives and community. We look forward to a great deliverance this Passover season. And friends, I want you, look at me <laughs> through that screen, look at me. I want you to be expectant that we are looking forward to a great deliverance this Passover season. Amen? So I want to turn your attention to Matthew chapter 26, Matthew chapter 26, starting at verse 17. And here is a picture and a passage about Yeshua celebrating the last Passover Seder with his Talmudim, his disciples. And in verse 17 of chapter 26, it says, On the first day for matzah, or the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Talmudim came to Yeshua and asked, Where do you want us to prepare your Seder? Go into the city to so-and-so, he replied, and tell him that the rabbi says, My time is near, my Talmudim and I are celebrating Pesach at your house. The Talmudim did as Yeshua directed and prepared the Seder. Well, here in Matityahu, Yeshua was celebrating the Passover with his Talmudim, with his disciples. Passover is a reminder of what God has done by delivering his people, both through the Exodus and through the death, burial, and resurrection of Messiah Yeshua. So in a few days when we celebrate Pesach, when we have our Seder, we are remembering what God has done in the past. We are remembering who God is today in our present, that he's the same delivering God. And we are remembering who God will be and continue to be in the future, right? That Passover is not something just we celebrate as a past event. It is a continuous celebration of the reality of God in the lives of his people. Let's look at the passage because as I put Yeshua in his context celebrating Passover, as we will be doing in a few days, I want to put that in context as Yeshua would have been celebrating a Passover, prophetically, yes, but also remembering what God had done in the past. So in Shemot Exodus chapter 12, starting at verse 1, it says, Adonai spoke to Moshe and Aharon in the land of Egypt. He said, you are to begin your calendar year with this month. It will be the first month of the year for you. Speak to all the assembly of Israel and say, on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb or a kid for his family, one per household, except that if the household is too small for a whole lamb or kid, then he and his next door neighbor should share one, dividing it in proportion to the number of people eating it. Your animal must be without defect, a male in its first year, and you may choose it from either the sheep or the goats. You are to keep it until the 14th day of the month, and then the entire assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter it at dusk. They are to take some of the blood and smear it on the two sides and top of the doorframe at the entrance of the house in which they eat it. That night they are to eat the meat roasted in the fire. They are to eat it with matzah and maror. Amen. 
So Exodus 12, 11 says, This is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, eat it in haste, for it is the Lord's Passover. In the same way, the Messiah was and is the unleavened bread that came down out of heaven, born in Bethlehem, the house of bread. No coincidence. Since yeast is a symbol of sin, it stands in stark contrast to Messiah's sinless body, which would be broken for the benefit of all during the feast of unleavened bread. It is called the Lord's Passover because he promised in Exodus 12 that his judgment and the angel of death would pass over those who had the blood applied to the doorpost of their home. In the midst of terrible plagues and terrible judgment, God's people are promised protection. When? When the blood of the sacrificed lamb is applied to the doorpost of their dwelling. That's powerful. Reading from Exodus 12 and verse 12, For that night I will pass through the land of Egypt and kill all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both men and animals, and I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt. I am Adonai. The blood will serve you as a sign marking the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. When I strike the land of Egypt, the death blow will not strike you. God's people put the blood of the Passover lamb on the doorposts of their homes. And only the homes of the Jewish people with the blood of the lamb over the doorframe of their homes were saved and spared. They were delivered from God's wrath. They were passed over. That's a good message. That's a valid message. That is a current message for us. God is the same. There was loud crying in Egypt when Pharaoh and the people realized this was God's judgment for enslaving his people. And it was only then that Pharaoh told Moses to leave. They gave them gold and silver as they left, and God's people exited Egypt, what we call the Exodus. This is the watershed event in Jewish salvation history. Is it any wonder that Yeshua, right, is prophetically seen in this feast and describes it to his Talmudim? Yeshua used the elements of the Passover Seder and revealed their prophetic significance to them. The Messiah's own blood would be shed to save God's people from their slavery to sin. The righteous Messiah, atoning for the guilty worshiper. The death of the righteous atones. You see, an Orthodox Jewish historian and rabbi Beryl Wine, in his book, The Triumph of Survival, The Story of the Jews in the Modern Era, 1650 to 1990, said, it was an old Jewish tradition that the death of the righteous and innocent served as an expiation for the sins of the nation or the world. 
The Talmud states in many places that the death of the righteous atones. Shabbat 32a, 33b, Leviticus, Rabbah 20 and 12, and many more. In Moed Katan 28a, Rabbi Ami said, Why is Miriam's death in Numbers 20 and verse 1 connected with the Torah portion about the red heifer? Numbers 19. This is to tell you that even as the red heifer atones, even so the death of the righteous atones. Rabbi Eleazar said, why is Aaron's death in Numbers 20 connected with the priestly clothing? Even as the priestly clothing atones, Leviticus 16, so the death of the righteous atones. Rabbi Hiyah ben Abba said, the sons of Aharon died on the first of Nisan. Then why is their death remembered on the Day of Atonement? This is to teach that as the Day of Atonement brings atonement, in the same way the death of the righteous brings atonement. With that in mind, I want to point out the significance of six elements on the Seder plate that we'll be using come Wednesday night and how they point to Yeshua, the righteous one who atones. First, on the Seder plate, there's a shank bone of a lamb. The shank bone of a lamb on the Seder plate, called the Zeroah, represents the sacrifice of the Passover lamb on the night the Israelites left Egypt. Think about it. How do you have Passover, biblically speaking, <laughs> without the lamb? Right? This was a lamb... Not a regular lamb, not an average lamb. No, this was a lamb without blemish, spotless. In fact, perfect. God required a perfect offering, innocent blood, in order to spare their own children from death. The lamb was a sacrifice, a substitute for the person who would have died in the plague. The new covenant calls Yeshua the Lamb of God. In Yochanan chapter 1, verse 29, John sees Yeshua and says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Right? The Lamb of God who atones. The righteous one who atones. A lamb was required to fulfill Isaiah's prophecy when he writes, Like a lamb led to the slaughter. Plus, the scripture tells us that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. At the last Passover meal, Yeshua was preparing to reveal himself as the Passover lamb, a perfect, sinless, firstborn son who would willingly give his life as a sacrifice for the sins of his people. Yeshua is the lamb. Another element on the Seder plate is the maror, the bitter herb. Typically, it's horseradish that is very strong. And if you do it right, it makes your eyes water. Like the tears caused by the bitterness of slavery, slavery in Egypt caused tears. The cruelty of their Egyptian oppressors also refers to the bitterness of our slavery to sin. Sin is not our friend. It is brutal. It is cruel. It destroys and kills and maims. It's evil. But the Messiah came to help us. 
Sin is our rebellion against God. And while some might find temporary pleasure in that, the end result is always destruction to those who practice it. Romans 6, or I should say Romans, the book of Romans was written to the Messianic Jewish community in Rome uh, and says that without Yeshua, you are slaves to sin, which leads to death. However, when we put our trust in Yeshua as Savior, and that's how Isaiah 53 starts out, who has believed our report, who has believed, have faith in our report, we are not only forgiven, we are set free from our fleshly addictions and become slaves to the righteousness of God. Romans 6.22 says, but we are set free from sin and are now slaves to God. And I want to, you know, the, sometimes the imagery of slaves isn't a, a positive imagery in our culture. But to be a slave to a benevolent, good, and holy God is a good thing. The next thing on our Seder plate that I want to talk about is the chorosit. The chorosit is a sweet mixture of juice, apples, nuts, and cinnamon. And sometimes honey. This represents the mortar used by the Israelite slaves to make bricks for Pharaoh. It's the only item on the Seder plate that's sweet, which serves as a reminder of the hope of redemption. Friends, we are in a difficult season, but there is hope of redemption. There is hope of deliverance. There is hope of God answering dramatically and powerfully in our world today. Redemption means to buy back from slavery. It means to buy someone back by paying a ransom. This is the way God ransomed us. He sent his son, Yeshua, the Mashiach, to ransom us. By his knowing or pain and sacrifice, my righteous servant makes many righteous. It is for their sins that he suffers. Isaiah 53, 11. You see, Yeshua is our Redeemer who brings freedom and the one in whom we place all of our hope. Through him we receive new life, which can be seen in the next element that I want to talk about, the carpus. Typically it's parsley, and it's a symbol of spring and new life. We're entering into spring and new life and a time where new things are going to happen, good things. Some say that if you turn it upside down, it resembles the hyssop used for sprinkling blood on the doorposts. Yeshua died to give us new life in him, and his blood brings freedom. And I want to tell you that that new life, whether you're not serving Yeshua now, you can, and he will bring new life to you. If you are currently a servant of his, he wants to bring life to your current and present situation. Along with the carpus, there's salt water. During the Seder, a bowl of salt water sits on the table into which each person dips their carpus. Salt water symbolizes the tears and sweat of slavery. And we remember 
Why? Because we remember God's great deliverance, his goodness that he set us free. And we also remember that we don't want to go back to that ever again. Yeshua knew he was the Passover lamb to be sacrificed for the sins of the world. And on the tree, when Yeshua was thirsty, the scripture says, those who were there held up a hyssop branch with sour wine for him to drink. As Yeshua celebrated the Passover meal, he was infusing it with prophetic meaning, revealing his own death as a sacrifice for sin that would bring salvation to many. While they were eating, Yeshua took bread, not just regular bread. He, he took unleavened bread. He took matzah. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his Talmudim, his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Matzah, unleavened bread. And perhaps this is the most important symbol on the Seder table. There is a stack of three pieces of matzah, and in our family we have a bag. It's called a matzah tash, and you folks are, know you have one. And you put three pieces of matzah into the one bag. And some say that the three pieces of matzah represent the Jewish forefathers, Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. But as Messianic Jews, we see the three pieces representing the triunity of God. One bag with three matzahs in the bag. The Father, the Son, and the Ruach HaKodesh. During the Seder, the middle matzah is removed from the bag. Which is what Yeshua did. He stepped out of heaven. He came from heaven to earth. And that middle matzah is broken. And placed in a linen bag, we know, right, as the afikomen. And it's hidden away or buried. And it comes back again when it is redeemed later on in the Passover Seder. Well, the piece is broken, it's buried, and then it's brought back. This is a picture of the resurrection of Messiah. Think of the Talmudim of Yeshua. When they heard the news and they were told about the empty tomb, what did they go and do? They immediately went to look for him. They ran searching for it, just like our children search for the Afikomen. And just like, right, they looked to find it, so they were desperate to find the Messiah who was broken and wrapped in cloth and put in a tomb. The matzah is striped and pierced. And if you have a board of matzah at home, you could lift it up and you see that it's striped and pierced. And when you look closely at the matzah, it has dark stripes on it from the baking rack. And it's also pierced with holes to keep the dough from rising. They pierce the bread just like Messiah's body was pierced for us, as Isaiah the prophet says. He says, and we have referenced the prophet many times, because he predicted about the coming Messiah when he wrote, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his stripes we are healed. Did you hear that? 
By his stripes we are healed. Before Yeshua was sacrificed, he was flogged, lashed with whips, resulting in bloody strips and stripes on his back. On the tree, his hands were pierced with nails, his feet were pierced, and his side with a spear. On the tree, Messiah's body was broken for us. By his wounds, we are healed. Sin and death no longer control us. We are restored, renewed, and have everlasting life with him. That's a, <laughs> that is incredible. When you think the lengths to which God sought to procure redemption for us. You see, the matzah points to the death, burial, and resurrection of Yeshua. The bread leads us to the four cups of juice that we drink at the Passover Seder. These are four cups of juice, and each of the cups correspond to the four promises Adonai made to the children of Israel in Shemot chapter 6. When he said, therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am Adonai, I will free you from the forced labor of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their oppression. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am Adonai, your God, who freed you from the forced labor of the Egyptians. Wow, those are four tremendous promises. Because what, be what would be the good if God freed us, but he didn't rescue us out, right? You could be free and then be recaptured, can't you? But God didn't only free, but he also rescued. He didn't only rescue, but he redeemed. And he didn't only redeem us, but he caused us to be able to have a personal connection with him, the living God of the universe. This is amazing. And I want to focus on the third cup for a minute. The third cup of juice is poured and grace after meals is prayed. And it's known as this third cup is called the cup of redemption. Titled for that third promise that I just read from Shemot chapter 6. It is the cup of redemption. And this is the cup that Yeshua identified with when he said in Luke 22, 20, and it says he did the same with the cup after the meal, saying, this cup is the new covenant, the Brit Chadashah, ratified by my blood, which is being poured out for you. There's more there than I can really get into now. But needless to say, God had been planning this. The new promise of the new covenant, okay, is from Jeremiah 31, 31. And the, the promise is consistent with the promises in Shemot Exodus that God, right, that God's people would know him personally, from the least to the greatest. They would know him and have a personal relationship. And this is what Yeshua is coming to enact. And every covenant requires blood to be shed. So, the power of the blood. Think of this for a moment. As we're almost done with this message, think about the power of the blood. Okay, there were major things going down in Mitzrayim, in Egypt. 
There was loud wailings and cryings because the judgment of God for sin and evil was falling upon the land. But the power of the blood allowed judgment to pass over those who had the blood applied. The blood of redemption. And in the same way, Yeshua's blood, the Lamb of God, brings powerful deliverance and redemption to all who put their trust in him. Ephesians chapter 1 and 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Yeshua is the perfect Passover lamb sacrificed on the tree so that our sins would be forgiven once and for all. Deliverance wrought by his blood. Freedom and a connection to the living God that people cannot have without it happens through the power of the blood. I want to encourage you, when you trust Yeshua to be your Savior, who has believed our report, said the prophet? Who has believed? When you trust Yeshua, when you say, I believe to be your Savior, God sprinkles his blood on the doorpost of your heart. His wrath passes over you. You are forgiven, redeemed, and given new life and life eternal. Because of Yeshua's sacrifice, God's cup of wrath fell on him, which means that when we believe, it doesn't fall on us. No judgment to us because God poured his wrath on the sacrifice. There is power in the blood, just like it was powerful in the original Passover event to avert God's judgment for sin. It is powerful today to escape the judgment of God for sin. What we must do is to simply two things, repent and believe. Who has believed our report? Repent. God, I'm sorry that I have transgressed your ways, done my own thing, not believed in you, worshiped the idols of men. God, forgive me for my lawlessness and my crimes against you. And Lord, I believe that Yeshua is the Lamb of God prophesied Lamb of God to take away my sin. It's really that simple. God, if he would be a good God, and we know he is, didn't make this hard for folks. He wants you to be in on his atonement. He wants you to be in on a relationship with him. He wants you to be in on redemption and freedom and joy because he's good. And I want to encourage you that as you celebrate the Lord's Seder, the Shulchan Adonai, and as you participate in Pesach this Wednesday and take the elements, that we realize that this took place all in the context of the Passover, the last Passover meal of Yeshua. And that it revealed prophetic significance. You know, we could get so in the routine of celebrating Pesach and getting a chuckle out of the very hot and dangerous horseradish. And we could get a chuckle out of many things in the Seder, but they are a prophetic symbol to us. 
to what God has done and his power in our lives. And I want you to remember that. The body and blood of the Passover lamb are symbolized in those elements. And when taking the Lord's Seder, we remember several things. One, God's deliverance of his people Israel and their exodus from Egypt 3,500 years ago. We identify with the bitterness of bondage and our own slavery to sin today. We remember Messiah, our Passover lamb. The Brit Chadashah says, For Messiah, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. We remember Yeshua was pierced for our transgressions, and by his stripes we are healed. We, repro we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. It is a beautiful tradition that illustrates God's plan of redemption for all people and fulfilled in Yeshua the Messiah. I want to tell you that, you know, we're coming through 40 days of fasting. Guess what? 40 days of fasting and now to celebrate this Wednesday night at that Passover Seder, understanding that God is the same, that the God who delivered 3,500 years ago is the same God that could deliver today. A plague 3,500 years ago or a plague today, God is big enough to deliver again. And I want to encourage you not to think of God in the past tense. Think of him in the present tense. Think of God not as someone who's far off and separated from you, but a God who is near you, okay, who came close to you, who, who, when you speak to him, he hears your voice and he answers your prayer. This is what God promised to do through Passover, to take for himself a people that he would have intimate connection with and speak to, and they would respond to him as a child to their father. I want to encourage you today, don't be discouraged. Don't be downhearted, but put your faith and hope in a God who delivers. Put your faith and hope in a God who hears the cry of his people in bondage and says, I will rescue you. I will deliver you. I will be your God and you will be my people. Let's bow our hearts and pray. Abba, I thank you that you are our source of strength and our source of hope. And God, I thank you that you have given us the Passover as a reminder that you are alive and well, that you're a God who does wonders and miracles on a regular basis. God, that when you see your people in need and suffering, that you come to their aid. And so, Father, I pray that in this season you would infuse new hope and life into every heart, into your people, God, into those who, Lord, have never heard of you. You would show them that you are able to deliver, that you are able to save, that your arm is not too short. Father, that you would show that by your stripes we can be healed. So, Father, I pray for each one. Lord, I pray for your great compassion and mercy to be poured out. And I pray that if you're out there listening and you have never said yes to Yeshua, that you would do it now. Say, Lord Yeshua, forgive me for my sins. 
come into my heart. I believe the report that God gave of you, that he would send the Messiah to atone for my sins. I believe it, and I put my trust in the Messiah, Yeshua. If you pray that simple prayer, let us know, because God will move and do powerful things in your life. Let me say the ironic blessing over you, and this will conclude our service. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Let the sweet shalom of the Lord Yeshua be upon you. Rabbi Carol and myself and our family, we love you. Have a great Passover. Join us. You're going to be at our table via Zoom or something like that. We'll be able to see your punims. Uh, do that if you would like, and we'll go through this, this, the, the Haggadah together, and then we'll finish the Haggadah instead of breaking for a meal, and then you can have your meal. So in that way, we can kind of have, you know, a virtual Passover together. So if you would like to do that, you're certainly welcome to. We welcome you to do that. And God bless you, and Shabbat Shalom.